I'm excited to talk about this topic. It's with the Chief Executive Officer of Credit Council Society, Stacey Janczak Orlecki. Uh, how are you today, Stacey? Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm great, Jim. How are you? I'm doing very well. So the topic of credit cards came up in our morning meeting based on a survey that um, one of my colleagues saw in the States that said 43% of people in the States don't know their interest rate on their credit card. So before I delve into that, I thought it'd be a great conversation just to explain where we're at with credit cards, the amount of interest that can be charged, and if there's any rules around that here in Canada. Well, you know, I'm not surprised that that survey came out with that data, because I think a lot of us don't necessarily understand our personal finances. So it's not surprising. In Canada, we do have rules about how much a creditor can charge. And a creditor can charge legally up to 59.9% interest. Um, After that, 60% and over is considered illegal interest. So we definitely have rules. But really, when it comes to credit, it's about using it wisely, right? It's not about, you know, credit's good or bad. It's just about using it wisely. Right. And I think when we talk credit cards, everybody goes down that road of of this isn't, you know, we never, uh, my point, we never talk about, um, the good things about credit cards and how they've helped mm-hmm. us and how they do things like that. So, but I just want to go back to that. Fifty nine percent is legal um, uh, in Canada up to that, and I know most would never dream of doing that. But, right. <laughs> um, uh, um, but what is the average right now for for major credit cards and the interest they charge? You know, I'd, I'd have to calculate the numbers, but you know, credit cards are charging anywhere from eighteen, you know, percent and and higher. You know, lines of credit are typically lower, um, you know, and loans depending on someone's credit rating. So, you know, that's where people really need to understand. It's not just, you know, how much the payment is per month, but how much interest you're, you're getting charged as well. And can you manage that in your budget? Yes, indeed. And so you're not surprised that there's a survey out there that says more, well, 43%, but almost half of people with credit cards are unaware of the interest rate. You know, the thing about money, Jim, is that it's never just about dollars and cents, right? It's not like planting a garden where we can easily, you and I could talk about dirt and (laughs) neither of us are going to get uncomfortable about it, right? This is about money and money is about how you feel about it and how you behave with it. And so what we've done is we said your net worth, how much you were worth as a human, like, uh, like financially, is how much you're worth as a person, right? We've joined those two worths, but they're entirely separate. You know, I know lots of people who have had money problems that are still really great human beings. And I know some great human beings, you know, some people who have done really, really well with money and who are, you know, less than ideal human beings. Right. right? So it's about people getting comfortable with their money because it's about how they feel and there's a lot of shame around money. And that's a valid point, too. And it's an emotional thing with our money because I know oh, that yeah. some people look at a credit card at the end of the month and go, oh, no, look at what I've done. And then it gets emotional. Other people mm-hmm. are, you know, get get dreads over the monthly bill and everything else. And it really ties to an emotional aspect when it comes down to talking about our money and especially with our credit. Well, and you know what? I mean, credit, like money problems will make your life worse. And I know that's a simple statement, but, you know, if I'm living with any kind of mental health issues, anxiety, depression, money is going to exacerbate it. If I have a sore back, you know, or I've got some arthritis, money will make things, will make me feel worse about things. It's harder to concentrate at work when I'm worried about how I'm going to pay my bills, right? So money, money problems, you know, just infiltrate every part of our lives. And people are reluctant to get help because they're ashamed, Jim. And that's the tragedy is, you know, people are burying themselves in debt and shame in the dark instead of just reaching out for help, you know, with, with, you know, folks like our members who are nonprofit credit counselors. 
right. who provide free financial counseling. And so Stacey, they get out of the dark. Yeah, and Stacey, I want to get into this part of the topic now too. And, and what are there are benefits to credit cards if you use them properly. There are some positivities around them, and and maybe get into some of those. But then follow up with some tips for people to keep in mind when when whether it's your first credit card or whether you've had one for twenty years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I said at the beginning, credit is neither good nor bad, right? It's about how you use it. Does it become a weapon or a tool, right? And so what we want to do is use it as a tool. If you've got points cards and you are paying off your credit card in full every month without interest, you can get some pretty snazzy points, right? Whether it's travel, you know, scenic points, going to the movies again, or, you know, cash back. So there's some benefits there. There's some, you know, you could look at insurance if you're traveling on your credit card. So there's some benefits, you know, and it also means maybe you can buy something that's a little bit more than you have, but you know you've got a plan to pay it off within a month or two. Okay, credit allows you to do that. It also allows you not to carry, you know, big wads of cash in your pocket, which doesn't seem all that safe. Yeah, so and I, benefits to credit, right? I was going to ask you about that with traveling, and 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 to me, mm-hmm. that's when I usually use it the most. Is just okay, mm-hmm. like the, I don't want to carry. Um, well, I'm in the media, so fifty dollars on me. No, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but but I I, I think that most people use it when traveling, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, for those purposes of like I've got to book a hotel and I'm going to go for dinner and I just don't want to have all this cash on me. It's become a valuable tool that way. Is that the most popular time when people use credit cards in your experience? No, I would suggest that people use credit cards a lot for everyday experiences. Right. You know, when you're out for groceries, look at you know maybe don't get caught because it's rude to stare, right? But like you know, just kind of glance over. And notice what people are paying with. A lot of people are paying with credit cards. You know, and can we honestly say that 100% of Canadians pay off their credit cards in full every month without paying interest? No, of course not. Right? So, you know, but look at life. Life's expensive. You know, if you're paying for gas or, you know, just getting a bag of apples. You know, I posted on my LinkedIn last week, like, a bag of apples where I live with eight bucks. Like, yeah. It didn't have chocolate on it, Jim. Like, it was just <laughs> apples. You know, I didn't get a manicure with that apple. Try, try those. You're in BC. Try those BC cherries out in Manitoba. Those are those are the the new apple to us out here with the price right. for those. Um, right. And and I wanted to get. And I want I wanted to get into that as well as just the idea that uh, through the pandemic, like more people had more income at their disposable, more people maybe online shop more. Was there any significant changes in the trends for credit cards over the past two to three years? Yeah, what was interesting is that, you know, while people had, you know, those that could work from home, and I think it's really important that we distinguish between, you know, not everybody had a great ride during COVID, right? Some people did well, but not everybody did. But for those that were able to work from home, you know, restrain their spending, they actually paid off more debt, which is great news. Because, you know, Canadians have a pretty high level of debt, like personal debt. Um, so, you know, the more that Canadians can pay off their debt, that's great. And so a lot of Canadians did that, didn't use their credit cards as much because there wasn't as much opportunity to spend. Uh-huh. But now that, you know, um, you know, we can all kind of go out again and travel, et cetera, those credit cards are getting used again and the debt levels are starting to go up. How is credit in Canada right now? Uh, in terms of what? Well, uh, not the country. I don't mean that, but I mean, as people, as, <laughs> as, as, sorry, 
You're not the no. finance minister. I understand that. Nope. What I meant to say, <laughs> what I meant to ask, my pay grade. Yeah. What I meant to ask, Stacey, is just credit use overall as Canadians right now. Is it high? Is it about what averages have been? Is it is it less than what we've seen? Just because people aren't. Because I know that now that mandates have been been lifting, that more mm-hmm. people are trying to go places, go to do things. And I understand yeah. that compared to the last two years, where like you said, more people paid a lot of debt down. Mm-hmm. But you know what? They're going up. So that's what I can tell you in terms of trends is that the credit card usage is going up. So are debt levels incrementally. Like, you know, we don't have everybody, you know, going in, you know, that are suddenly insolvent on Monday. But, you know, the pandemic prevented us from spending. It didn't necessarily change our financial, you know, habits and personality. Right. So that's where, you know, I think we still need to keep to the basics, which are, you know, Watch your spending, track your expenses, even though it's so boring, right? It's way more fun to go spend the money than to write it down. Writing it down actually keeps you accountable. And if you're stressed, like even if you have one night of, you know, bad dreams over your money, connect in with one of our members, which are, you know, these are nonprofit credit counselors, Jim, that are there to help. You know, it's free, it's free, it's confidential. It can be done, you know, virtually or by telephone. You know, and it gives somebody a guide who will point the way on what to do. I'm because so... oftentimes when we're in financial crisis, we don't know what to do and we turn to the wrong provider. You know, not all help helps. And I want to wrap up with that, Stacey, and I'm so glad you mentioned that at the start and just now too, that like there's some people that get into a spot where they just don't see a way out and it's so mm-hmm. emotional and draining and everything else. And and just get into that, maybe touch on one more time, that if you are in that spot and if you're looking at this or maybe you've been struggling with it for a year or two, um, that you don't have to sort of just deal with it slowly and take years to get it. There are ways to, to sort of get some advice and help. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, if I, could, if I could leave the world with one lesson, it would be at the moment of financial stress, just one moment, reach out to your local nonprofit credit counselor because someone is there to help. Someone is there to listen and someone is there to provide free and unbiased advice. And so, the, like, so uh, you know, I remember when I was working for an agency, we, um, we uh, interviewed people and they said we had 67% of people say after that first appointment, they had a better night's sleep. You know, there was no solution. Like, they, you know, the problem didn't get solved in 45 minutes, right. but someone understood they had a plan and then they could sleep better. Yeah. Like when you can put the details to rest, then you can go live your life and go enjoy it. It is a little freeing to understand that you're not the only one when you're in this situation. And and I've heard that before too. Like I went and talked to a credit counselor and Mm -hmm. um, nothing's fixed and I have a plan Mm -hmm. and it's going to take a long time, but it was just refreshing to hear that I'm not like this shameful person. That's the only one in this situation. Oh my goodness. When I was a credit counselor, I would always say like, look, did you intend to get into this kind of debt? Like, was it fraudulent? And they're like, Oh my God, no, 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 no. Okay. Then let's take a breath. You know, then, you know, if we didn't do it with intent, then life happened. So let's take a breath and let's look at solutions because, you know, you're still a good person, even if somebody has debt or credit issues and no one is alone in this. You don't have to deal with it alone. And just don't tell your parents. They'll be the only ones who are disappointed. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Tell your parents too as well. You know, that's decent advice. I- <laughs> Go to the- Canada, per se, but... 
Go to the credit council person before your parents. They'll be less disappointed in you. I promise you that advice. Hey, Stacy. This- we don't get disappointed in people. <laughs> Stacy, this has been very interesting, and I, I really appreciate the update and, and, and some look into this situation. And we'll have you back soon, I'm sure. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Jim. Have a great day. Stacy Yanchuk Orleski. Yes, you too. Chief Executive Officer of Credit Council Society. Welcome into the program now, good friend Mark Arndt, Executive Director of Tennis Manitoba. How are you, Mark? Not too bad, Jim. How are you? It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while, and I always think of you when the tennis season rolls around, and and, uh, I was doing so lately. Um, Serena Williams announcing she's about to step down. I want to get into that with you and her legacy and how she changed the game, and and you're many times, I think, you've seen her play live, but I also want to touch on what uh, Tennis Manitoba is going on, and nothing bigger than I had uh, possible on last week to talk about the National Bank Challenger that was in our city about a week ago. How did that go? You know what? It went extremely well. It was our best uh, best year yet, and I think uh, the appetite after COVID, or I don't know if it's after COVID, but uh, just after having a, a two-year break, um, just the players were in good spirits. It seemed like the classiest group of players that came into into Winnipeg, and just so nice, so accommodating with media, with with the ball kids and things like that. And then at the gate as well. I mean, having marquee names like Vasek Pospisil and Kyle Edmund, who was 14 in the world before he got injured, uh, playing uh, made a massive difference. And uh, yeah, we had standing room only some uh, some days, and it was just really nice to see. Did you say Paul Edmonds is ranked 14th in the world? Yeah. Paul, I did. <laughs> Kyle with a K. <laughs> no, I'm just having fun with you, too. I'll bring that up uh, the next yeah. time we have Edmonds on the show. I didn't know you were that fleet of foot on the tennis court. That's awesome. Um, and this, you mentioned that, you know, coming out of the pandemic. Not out of it, I, I shouldn't put that. You said, yeah. uh, you know, coming to where the mandates have been lifted to a point where we can enjoy events like this once again. I would assume from the players' perspective, too, there's that, that whole new enthusiasm to be here in the city and to be at such a established event yeah you know what i think and that's the sense i got um i i hopped into our uh our shuttle service uh vehicles and in that and just got a chance to through when you really get a chance to talk to the players one-on-one and all that and i think yeah you know you take things for granted and uh when it's taken away from you and it comes back then you realize you know how much work goes into it behind the scenes from you know, all of our staff volunteers our ball kids and and it's, it's it's a massive production to put the, to put these two players onto a court, and I think some of them are really getting it, and they really really realize, and uh, having it taken away, uh, it hurts them, hurts uh, hurts the whole sport, and uh, it's nice to be back. Vasek was on the show uh, from Spain about two weeks prior to the event, talking about yeah. how he had never been to Winnipeg before and was excited to be a part of this event. Um, and it was probably a great coup for the city to to have the event that he would be attending. You know what? It was so good. I, he was the one, and I, I told him the story as well when he came. And I said, listen, you're the reason this all happened, because you played in Saskatoon in 2011. And uh, that lit a, a fire under my butt to get uh, to get this type of tennis into Winnipeg, because we've never had a professional tournament here before. And uh, so I told him the story, how it all unfolded. And I said, so you're the reason for all of this, and you're the reason for me losing my hair and stressing over over things at night that I can't control, like weather and things like that. But, you know, he's really touched by it. I just told him how impactful he has been. He may not know it, but even in, in a city like Winnipeg and people are watching him and, and to, 
to have him finally come and play, it, it, it's come full circle, so to speak, because he initiated the whole thing. He didn't play in 2012 here when when it was our first year because he was just ascending in the rankings and it was just too good to come and play. His ranking was too high, but because he was on injury and uh, recently, so he used this as a warm-up event. And, uh, uh, you know, he was touched by it. Like, he, he was genuinely, he goes, I had no idea he told me. And he said, and it's really cool to hear a story like that. So, yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah, you know, I, and I asked him about that. I said, you know, you're at a, a point in your career that you still have a lot of tennis left, but you've accomplished an enormous amount for a kid from Penticton. And he sort of was, I, I, you know, having done this for a while, interviewing people, I was a little taken back by how he was taken back. And he's like, you know what? I don't take a lot of time to look back on it, but... Um, you're right. Like I, I've done some things that I, I never thought as a kid growing up, um, uh, in BC would, would accomplish in this game. And that's, he said, another reason why I'm more than excited to come to Winnipeg for the first time to sort of, you know, they, they don't think of themselves in that lore, unless you're Djokovic again. I think he thinks pretty highly of himself just between you and I, but like he was, he was kind of taken aback that maybe, you know, they don't think about themselves that way, but he was taken aback that he sort of uh, accomplished what he has and was very excited to come to Winnipeg. Yeah. And you know, I, I just wish that he uh, he lost his first match. Unfortunately, he cramped out, and yeah. he's been having issues with cramping and all that. But uh, it, it was just it, it, exactly that, and and he's just a genuinely nice guy. And I mean, when you meet a person and talk to him and look him straight in the eye, and 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 you can tell whether they're engaged in the conversation or not. And he truly was. And he took our ball kids. He took my son actually and he hit with him for a little while as well. And oh, wow. uh, it's just a, a, a yeah. It was honestly I got a whole bunch of videos, and yeah, it's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I mean, the guy was 25 in the world, and he. Really Really, he, along with Milos Raonic and Jimmy Bouchard back in the day, they're the ones who really turned the corner for tennis in Canada because, I mean, with, with Davis Cup, and, and they brought it to the forefront. They brought more TV, more tennis, uh, uh, you know, in people's minds, just raised the awareness. And he was he was one of the catalysts. I always say that. And, uh, um, yeah, I think he's a legend in, in tennis uh, in Canada. In tennis in Canada, he's definitely one of the... Uh, the people that are right up there. Yeah, we're talking with Mark Arndt, Executive Director of Tennis Manitoba here on 680 CJOB. Uh, Manitoba Open starts on the 13th of this month. Uh, tell us about that event and, and some of the talent that uh, we uh, might not have heard about for the past two years here in Manitoba. Yeah, you know, it, 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 a lot of local players will be playing. Our top local players will be uh, involved in the event. And uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing... Uh, some some of the players, previous past previous champions, uh, dusting off their rackets and uh, and coming back and playing in the event. So uh, I'm curious to see uh, what their fitness level and what their levels are like. But uh, all in all, I think even during COVID, tennis and golf were the two uh, the two sport, sports that were not uh, not really impacted negatively by. I COVID. I mean, registration levels were up everywhere for for tennis uh, in Manitoba. I know there's some clubs that had to actually cap their memberships because there's too many people playing at the clubs. So, the Manitoba Open is uh, is it's our last tournament of of the season, our last outdoor tournament of the season, and uh, uh, yeah, we're just uh, entries are, are are rolling in right now, and uh, we'll have probably over 120 entries in, in in the Open this year, which is, again, phenomenal. And it just speaks to uh, the tennis and where it's at in this province and in the country as it uh, it is definitely escalating in participation numbers. Will Mike Keane be involved in going for a title? <laughs> no, I haven't seen his name yet, but I, I heard rumblings. I know he, he does play, and I, I've seen him around the courts, and I want to get him playing in tournaments. Like I, I'd love to see that. Yeah, I, I've heard the same over the years. He's a really good tennis player. Whenever I run across him, I'm always like, how's your tennis game? He's like, none of your business. 
So I don't know if that's good or bad, or he just doesn't want people to know. But I hear he's he's quite a very good tennis player. Yeah, close. He's holding it close to the vest. But you know what? <laughs> I uh, I'm sure. I mean, bottom line is his intensity uh, will just make up for any lack of skills if there are any uh, <laughs> skills lacking. But no, definitely, I want to get him going for sure. I want to get him playing. So he's still fit. I mean, I saw him in in shorts, and his legs are still as cut as they were probably when he was playing, and and his calf muscles are there. So I, he hasn't lost any of that. I don't think. Yeah, I've heard he's got a really good tennis game. I wanted to ask you about Serena Williams, and I know over your time you you've been all sorts of the majors and, and tournaments in Palm Springs and stuff. Uh, when did you first see her or the or the Williams sisters? And then now that you heard this news yesterday that she has a plan to retire and how difficult a decision it has been, what, what's kind of the legacy that she's leaving on the game? Uh, the, her and her sister, the family, the, the dad as well, they've transcended the, uh, the sport. Definitely their impact. I mean, there's the Billie Jean Kings of the world before her, but I mean, in this case, she she's the one with all the titles that she's won, and her her being number one for so many years with a target on her back, and just to perform year in not not year in and year out, but even day to day, week to week, and then tournament to tournament. I mean, she's always number one. It's always expected that she has to win, and that type of pressure is 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 monumental. And and to wake up every morning and think okay, who's coming after me today? And I've got to be at my best. And if I'm not, I even my sometimes my, my 50% has to be good enough to win. Otherwise, you know, the, the word will be out there that I'm in decline and all that. So I think that she's she's held it together for, for so many years, and, and uh, which is just a tribute to and a testament to her upbringing and into her training and having her sister and her dad push her. And, and I mean, my first time seeing was, remembering was, uh, Venus Williams when she won she had the the braids the white braids in her and she had I think it was the small tiny dreadlocks at that point but I remember her winning and coming onto the scene and I thought she was so phenomenal and then the dad came on and said listen there's another one behind her that's coming that's going to be probably <laughs> even better and when she came on it's, it's again the power and the strength and resiliency is Phenomenal. I'm not my only thing, and I, I talk, you know, I mean, you, you admire them as, as players and all. And I know she had her shortcomings during the uh, the, the U.S. Open there where she had said some nasty things to a, a line umpire. But I wish she owned those, I wish she owned up to those and, and apologized. She never outright, I never really heard her come out and say, you know, that was my fault, I had, having a bad day or whatever. I, I wish that, that tarnishes her legacy a little bit. Maybe people can forgive and forget about it. But, you know, something like that sticks out. I mean, they say you do 99 things, right? You do one thing wrong and you remember, you're remembered for that one thing that you did bad or wrong and, and this would be one of those situations where if she just said, listen, I apologize for that, and let's move on. But overall, though, Jim, honestly, yeah, I mean, you've seen her play. You've seen the power. I've seen her up close. <laughs> this is the speed of the ball. The, the TV really does take away from from her the violence that she played with, that she's played with. And I think that that's leaving her game now. Her movement isn't what it used to be. And I think the writing's on the wall, and, and you know, all good things must come to an end. And uh uh, that's where we're at right now with her career, I think. You know, that that's great stuff, Mark. And I, I agree with you that the, what you said there, the violence of the game, it, it sounds like a, a kind of a weird thing to say about tennis, but that's what it was like watching. It was like, you know, coming at you, it was here it is, here's the power, here's the force, and that's what made it intriguing and, and really changing a bit of the game on, on to where we see now with even Bianca Drescu and, and how yeah. she approaches the game too. So, yeah, a legend in the game for sure, and um, uh, wish her all the best. And I agree that I, I found it entertaining, the quotes that uh, we still see on the most 
top 10 undressing of officials in pro sports. <laughs> uh, we all we all have our moments. And I just saw it the other yeah. day, actually. It was kind of funny that, that you brought that up. So, Mark, yeah. I appreciate always visiting with you. All the best to everybody at Tennis Manitoba. And a reminder that the Manitoba Open starts on August 13th. And uh, you can always go to their website for all the information at TennisManitoba.com. Always good talking with you, my friend. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Jim. Take care of yourself. Mark Arndt, Executive Director of Tennis Manitoba. 